The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Hello and welcome to Women Falls, where I talk to today's trailblazers. On February 24th, it will be one year since the war in Ukraine first started. So to mark that, my guests joining me today have been part of the British Homes for Ukraine scheme, launched to support Ukrainian nationals who have fled their homes due to the war. One of my guests is the Conservative MP for Banbury, Victoria Prentice, now Attorney General in government who was one of the first MPs to home a Ukrainian refugee. Joining her is Vika, who fled her home in Ukraine and for the last year has settled into her adoptive home in Oxfordshire. Thank you both for joining us today. It's great to Thank be you. here. Lovely to see you. Victoria, just to begin, I wondered if you could tell our listeners a little bit about where you and Vika are living at the moment. It's the same place that you grew up? Yes, I live in my constituency near Banbury in Oxfordshire, a very rural village, and the village has really taken Vika into its heart. And that's been one of the things that has surprised me about this whole experience. When we first learnt that Vika was coming to live with us, I thought she was a sophisticated girl about town. She'd want to stay in our flat in London, maybe work in the city. Not at all. She arrived in our village, Somerton, And everybody was so kind and welcoming. It was really overwhelming. And I think she feels very safe there. Yeah, it's a lovely place. And Vika, how did you and Victoria meet? Because you arrived in the UK a few days before the scheme actually opened. Yeah, so actually the first time we met was in Kiev in November or October, I think November last year. The Uh, year before last. Yeah, before last, actually. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And I'd gone to Kiev to visit my daughter who was studying there. We met with Victoria's daughter when she was having her internship in Kiev for a couple of months. So we, we met, we got really well together, get, went out, like had coffees, etc., etc. And then she just texted me one evening and said, do you want to meet my mother? We are in the cafe. And I was like, yeah, sure. And that's how we met, had a lovely chat. And I didn't even expect that I'm going to see all their family like in months time in two months time and it's going to be so much welcomed in their family which is really really nice. Because before the war you were living in Kiev is that correct? I started in Kiev for six years I did my bachelor's and master's in Kiev University so I decided to stay there so in continue and settle etc and I had best life there we bought a flat there I was ready to build my life there I was working as a project manager in a law firm so was having great time and great life and then my day all changed it became very different anyways I wanted to just for listeners if you could just talk us through obviously I I mean I remember waking up on the day that Putin announced that he was going to invade but from your perspective obviously that happens and then between that and then moving to the UK I wanted you to talk us through what those few days were like? Actually, it's a it's a very difficult time for me. It's going to be after 20th of February because obviously it's the year anniversary. So my birthday actually is on the 22nd of February. But during January and February last year, we all felt, all Ukrainians and probably all the world felt 
very big pressure with all the news and everything that was going on. And we were pretty much ready that something bad really is going to happen, but we didn't expect it's going to be that scale and level of things and terrible things that's happening. So I had my best day about like all the flowers and everything and I was trying to be happy but I saw all my guests and all my friends were not actually feeling that sort of celebration wipe at all and then on the 24th of February I got up my flat was full of flowers etc but I got up because of the explosion near um not near my flat but not far from my flat like a four-ish fatality or five-ish uh in morning but I was like trying to convince myself that it was an explosion. I was trying to convince it was just sort of a noise. And then I think in 10 minutes, my mom called me. She lived in Harrison and she called me and said, it's all started. I was like, like clicked. Okay, getting ready, taking my stuff, doing whatever. And I was trying to prepare my flat to sort of stay there without leaving and trying to I was thinking that I'm going to stay there to just wait what's going to happen. But 24th of February was quite intense in terms of fights near Kiev. And I decided to just leave. We couldn't buy any tickets and train or something. It was all packed and full and crowded, etc. But we managed and we went to Lviv. And then I had a week, week something, 10 days of actually traveling in Ukraine and I didn't want to leave and I was for a couple of days in my friend's village then I was a couple of days in my dad's village in western Ukraine and I was like sorting thinking what what I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do and Victoria and her family was trying to actually persuade me to come to the UK but I was thinking no it's actually impossible UK is so far away uh will not be able to come no way and I didn't expect I'm going to come, to be honest. It's a long story and a long story about the journey here. But anyway, yeah, I'm here. And I remember very vividly that you went to get money out from a cash point. And oh. there was a bomb very nearby. Yeah. And I think that was the moment when you thought, actually, that was, this yeah, is Yeah, that safe. was in the morning of 24th of February when... As I said, we were trying to prepare my flat to stay there for a couple of weeks or days or whatever. And we went to buy some food and some medicine and some water and everything. And we were actually queuing to the supermarket and to get our cash. And there was a really loud explosion, literally a couple of kilometers from us. And we were like, oh my God. And we couldn't actually, the, the thing was that I used to live on the 17th floor and we couldn't use the leaf because of electricity cut. And we had to run up and down, up and down all the time with all this food and stuff. And it was quite, at the moment, it was obviously uh, on the adrenaline type of thing. But now I'm just trying to realize what actually happened. And that morning was just probably the craziest. It was just unbelievable. But I can say that I'm very lucky because obviously I didn't, I didn't see all the horrible thing that people actually saw and experienced during almost a year of war. But it's still very 
very traumatic, I think. And Victoria, during that period when Vika's obviously pondering whether to leave or stay, what are you doing? Are you trying to work out passage or how, how yes, you can welcome her? we were trying to sort out the means of leaving. This was slightly pre the Homes for Ukraine yeah. scheme. We were trying to navigate the visa process. And, and you um, just thought, my, my daughter's a friend there, I've met her. Yes, That's- and I very much view Vika as like my daughters she's um, even then even then uh, even though we didn't know each other very well we'd met very briefly when I was visiting my daughter in Kiev and I felt very strongly that if we could offer people homes and it was clear even then that not everybody would be able to stay in Ukraine while this war took place and so you decided to make the passage over here Victoria, you're relieved at that point. Very relieved. Mm-hmm. Oh, that when she landed, <laughs> I cried and cried with relief. Where it did you land? Great. Heathrow. Heathrow. <laughs> the best apple. Yes. Um. And we've got a brilliant photograph, which we were just looking at yeah. earlier, of Vika wearing her boots that she's got on with a tiny bag. So this is Vika with to her new life with a tiny bag with a laptop in it. Yeah, it's the situation when you actually fit all your life into one bag, which is just a bit... And, just crazy. And you, we took her to rural Oxfordshire, where, as she describes it, there were hills, hills of clothes. And there really were. The village had produced everything. My daughter had sent a quick WhatsApp round the village group and said, Vika's coming. This was right at the beginning of the war and, and nobody else knew any Ukrainians. Yeah. Vika's coming. We need. She's very slim and she likes pink. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> the that was a, our request anyways. Yeah. <laughs> and, and how did you feel on landing? I guess it was a bit of a mix of emotions. It was, to be honest, obviously it was a mix of emotions. Like Sadness, confusion, a type of relief because I'm finally somewhere and I finally get to some point destination and where I can be safe and something like that. Before I landed, we had a whole protest with my passport and everything. It was quite stressful for all of us, I think, for Victoria and her team. I mean, that is the person you want to know, though, if you're... (laughs) It was fine. We managed. I quite like navigating forms. Mm. So that was okay. But it took a long time. And when Vika arrived, she was very stressed and very tired and have your parents now come over so my parents came in may last year so yeah. they're now here in the same village uh, with another host they, they live with our neighbors and that was a relief yeah there was a relief yes yeah. yes there was a big relief and your grandparents are still in ukraine yes they are still in ukraine in Kherson, so near Kherson very near, uh, a couple of kilometres from Kherson. They live in, in the village, yeah, and they spend all the occupation there and they don't want to move anywhere. Even though we have a house in Dad's village in western Ukraine, they don't want to move because they say it's where we lived all our lives, it's where we spend our childhood, young ages and stuff and we built this house for years and years and years and we don't want to leave anything so it is quite difficult for all of us and we cannot persuade them at all to move but I can understand them I don't blame them we're speaking on the day not the day this podcast worked but the day that Zelensky 
is in the UK yeah um, has just addressed Westminster Hall I, I wondered I, mean, I want to talk about some of the works of Victoria Jean but how does it feel having Zelensky here um I was so excited when I was at work this morning and I texted Victoria I was like is there a chance to see him I was so excited so so and we couldn't make it happen but yeah. we're close he's, yeah. he's seeing the king at the moment yeah. so he wasn't free Priorities. to pop in for the podcast I, I mean you know women yeah. bulls should be over King Charles any day but and, still yeah and I think it's a great move um, to come to the UK uh, because he's not travelling everywhere and I think it is very important he's here. He spoke so well. It was a really powerful moment and I think everybody who was there will always remember it, frankly. And he, as ever, with Ukrainian government at the moment, made his points very politely and very charmingly but very very clearly yeah uh, were you receptive to his call for fighter jets victoria well it's (laughs) not up to me i'm focusing on accountability generally for how we can help the ukrainians make sure that war crimes are properly prosecuted i think generally we have been very receptive to calls from ukraine and we've spent about four billion altogether in the last year on helping ukraine to fight this war, and I'm sure we will continue to do what we can without wanting to get into specifics. Yeah. Um, but Ukrainians are very, very good at always having a list of things that they need and want, and we have genuinely, and I think they realise this, done our level best to help. And, and I suppose just on that, and then I want to talk a little bit about the dynamics of the House and <laughs> then talk about war crimes, but being in the UK, do you feel as though the UK is being a strong friend to Ukraine? offering enough support is that so i am not a politician and i don't know actually what is happening in terms of financial help or whatever weapon i don't really know but as a person living in this society i can say that probably uk is one of the best places for ukrainians to be at the moment because the level of support in terms of personal level support, is amazing, extraordinary. You can go to every city in the UK, you're going to see, like, the flags and people supporting you and people asking where you're from and etc, etc. It is very, very nice to feel it all the time. It is really important. And I think people, UK people, just don't really realise how important it is but they do it and it's extraordinary and in terms of employment and in terms of support in every level like whatever it is renting apartment healthcare whatever everybody's very much into helping and I've been looking for a job for quite a long time not because I was struggling to find it I was looking quite a long time because it it wasn't that I wanted to do but all the interviews I went to everyone wasn't like had nothing to do with I'm Ukrainian they were really happy and they were like very supportive and they were absolutely fine with with that I'm very (laughs) at the nation and stuff like that so and that's what I like about the UK it's very diverse it's very friendly it's very nice environment to live in now I want to talk about some of your work as Attorney General, Victoria, and then let's end by working out 
how nice it is to live in Victoria. <laughs> yeah. That's when we're going to get the dirt. Yeah, yeah, we can do that. Just, you know, tell me everything. So, Victoria, I remember when I sat down with your predecessor, Savannah Braverman, during her time as Attorney General, and she was talking about lots of the work the UK is doing on war crimes, work I know you've continued. One particular aspect is, I think, training judges. Can you talk us through that? Yes, so one of the most useful things we've been able to do, I think, is lend a very great asset to this nation. Sir Howard Morrison, who is probably our most experienced war crime judge, to the Ukrainian prosecutor general. So we did that last year, and he has worked generally with the Ukrainian prosecutor general, who I have a lot of contact with too. In fact, I'll be speaking to him tomorrow again. And Sir Howard has set up a training course for Ukrainian judges in how to conduct a war crimes tribunal. Nobody ever thought we'd be doing this, I don't think, in our lifetimes. And it's horrible that we have to. But it's if we are going to ensure international accountability. And also, we're really hopeful, because the Ukrainians have, have been so fantastic at doing this so quickly, we're really hopeful that the fact that these tribunals are taking place right now will have a good effect on the behaviour of soldiers fighting in the war, because they will see that right now there are repercussions for the way that they act. So the Ukrainians have used all the help that we've given them. We're also giving a considerable amount of financial help. We're also boosting during the ICC to get ready for whatever international moment we may be able to have after the war ends, probably. And we're helping very much with evidence gathering and the, the sort of nuts and bolts of prosecution, working out the really sad things that we're helping with, like identifying bodies from DNA evidence and making sure that all the evidence can be collected to a, a cloud which is available to Ukrainians all over the world so that they can give evidence. So there's a great deal to do. Some of it's being prosecuted right now, some of it is for the future, but I think it's really important that we lean into this because it matters. And President Zelensky in his address this afternoon talked very passionately about the international rule-based order and how critical it is that we hold people to account for what's going on. And it's also quite unique, as you as you touch on, if you think about, you know, previous wars, a lot of the time the war crime prosecutions and perhaps even, even the attempts at evidence gathering came after the war, whereas there's obviously the point which is there's something very depressing about having to prepare for what you can't stop what's currently happening so you have to prepare but also does perhaps increase the chance of prosecution the fact that we are getting all this evidence yes. in, in so real time the ukrainians have got about seventy thousand open war crimes cases right now i met with the president of their supreme court he came over to parliament last week we are in constant touch with their judiciary who are doing a really really good job at prosecutions right now some russian soldiers are already convicted in prison and i'm sure that affects how the rest of the army behaves i really hope it does some of this is deterrent yeah Absolutely. But it also is much better. Any prosecutor will tell you that speedy justice is usually better because the evidence is fresh. A witness remembers what happened. There'll be a lot of video evidence in these trials, really for the first time in a war context quite like this. So it's quite important that we start to marshal that evidence carefully right now. One of the things I think we heard from Labour earlier today was um, also when I interviewed the 
lead Ukrainian wartime's prosecutor at the time of the interview was the idea of Putin as a war criminal. Is that something the UK government, you think, would consider? We're very keen that people should, well, people should be held accountable for their actions. So we're not only are we helping the Ukrainians with the current prosecutions, but I'm also sure that in the future there will need to be an international moment of accountability. Whether that's in the ICC or in what we're calling a hybrid tribunal, we don't yet know. Much depends on who the defendant will be and whether he is available to be tried in person. I'm sure that this will happen. This is why it's so important that we collect the evidence properly and make sure that people in The Hague are very involved in in that planning process. Quite how it's going to pan out, we don't yet know. But we want to absolutely help the international community with those prosecutions. Of course we do. And Vika, what's it like, I suppose, having your host family... The lead figure is leading on war crime prosecutions in terms of the work the UK is doing. It's very interesting, to be honest. When they. Like over dinner, you're just like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually really, really interesting because obviously I understand that Victoria cannot share all the information and etc. But it's very nice to just hear some of the news from her or just discuss something about war crimes, etc. Because. I do read news, Ukrainian news, but to be honest, I don't read uh, English side of news because uh, it's very overwhelming to speak in English, to work in English, to read English news and etc. So it's very interesting what the English side is actually talking about and how it goes, and especially with war crimes, especially. And, and last year, because I was the agriculture minister, I was dealing a great deal with grain. Yeah. And I did a lot of international work with Ukrainians and with the rest of the world on how to get at least some of Ukraine's grain out, which is so desperately needed to feed other parts of the world. And Vika's family grow grain and trade in grain, and her knowledge was absolutely invaluable. So, yeah, my dad was doing a bit of farming and my dad's uncle is doing farming, so it's been a bit of a <laughs> collaboration. <laughs> um, you mentioned the very beginning Victoria that uh, you thought Vika might want the London flat but actually you like the village um, I like Oxfordshire yeah <laughs> what, what struck you is there anything that's really um confused you about village life or you particularly taken a shine to I mean the worst thing about it is actually logistics and not be able to drive because I don't have driving license is a big problem there. So I don't really know how it goes in the future, whether I go back to Ukraine, whether I stay a little bit longer. I have no idea. I have no plans at the moment because nothing is actually clear. But maybe I might move to Oxford so it's going to be easier with all the logistics and uh, stay a bit there. But in general, Salmerton is a very picturesque place and the landscape are really really nice uh, really great to have walks there but again sometimes I miss the city life movement action and stuff like that so yeah 
It's great to be in London today, though. <laughs> and um, Victoria, has there anything that's changed about your daily life as a result of having Vika in the house? Uh, well, is she, is she better behaved than your daughter's? Oh, considerably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's worked really well having somebody that fits with our family. So we're very fortunate in Vika. She's like us. She speaks her own mind. She's very good at languages. She's totally and completely part of the family. We go on holiday together we had a hilarious Christmas it's very different we've got another family living on our farm a Ukrainian family of five a mum and a dad and three children they are lovely but very self-contained they do their own thing having Vika in our house is obviously a much bigger deal because emotional support is quite a big part of the homes for Ukraine scheme if we're honest particularly for single people And it is important that we talk through the news, what's happening, what's happening with the war. And we do that a lot. But we also have a lovely family time too. Yeah, it's very nice when your actually interests and hobbies match. Uh, And it's really nice to be in the family. And it's an absolutely amazing culture exchange as well as like uh, getting yeah getting to yeah, know I what mean, really is and stuff like that exactly Vika has very much informed my knowledge and therefore I hope the government's knowledge of what is going on and what Ukrainians really feel and on a personal level we will know her forever and we will love her forever and we hope one day she will go back to Ukraine of course we do but we can't wait to go and have a really big party when the war's over and that the final question I was going to say is ultimately Vika you want to get to a point where you can return to Ukraine one day? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. My heart and my mind every day when I come back from work is somewhere there because I just miss the days there, summers, springs, autumns, winters, because it's very different. It's it's just my home. And I've been to Warsaw last weekend and it reminded me so so much of Kiev and I was like oh my god I just want to go home and feel this air and feel this atmosphere and just look and walk around the places that I I like and yeah it's just where I want to go thank you Vika thank you Victoria and thank you for listening thank you